welcome to Knock On Podcast, where we bring you archery information and education that you can trust. Knock On was created as a way to bring all archers together, regardless of the brand you choose or the style of archery you shoot. Knock On Podcasting will deliver professional insights to the latest gear, proper shooting technique, along with high-level equipment setup and tuning. Knock On Podcast 232. We're on a Skype call. I had to do an impromptu call to my man, Aaron Schneider. What's up, A-Rod? <laughs> Nothing, man. What's going on? I don't know. You, uh, What are you out, slinging, slinging trad sticks around? Well, yeah, I'm getting hate because I came up with a flexible vein for traditional archery so you could shoot it like a feather, and believe it or not, they... A lot of the track community hates me for that, so I was out doing some videos of that, getting ready to head to the gym. Oh, really? I just came out with a uh, compound feather. It's crazy enough. Do they hate you for that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm just kidding. I wouldn't touch a feather. Good for you. I mean, there's nothing cooler than being on, you know, I guess the huge craze right now is backcountry hunts. Everybody's got to be keep it public backcountry and uh there's nothing <laughs> there's nothing cooler than being backcountry and having all your feathers fall off and you're like oh yeah that's sweet so no I, I i stopped traveling with feathers like i don't know two or three decades ago but i guess glad you glad you figured that part out yeah man it's a big deal for me and uh not to get off the subject but that was the thing when some of these guys were commenting, I've been using feathers for 30 years, and I'm like, really? Do you backpack hunt? Do you hunt, I don't know, brown bear on coastal Alaska? Do you hunt in B.C.? Okay, then you don't get to talk, because these were designed <laughs> for that. Yeah. So, you know what I mean? Like, holy cow. Yeah. Well, you know, it's uh, it's funny. There's certain times where, well, I guess where people like myself continue to just restrain and say hey i don't know why so-and-so is doing it that way i do it this way because it works in the field you know i can i can maybe that way is awesome all i know is from however long i've done this this is produced and i've never like i've never left a hunt saying my fletchings prevented me from making this hunt a positive outcome because if it had then i would have changed or i would have done something different or or even the arrow shaft or the spine or whatever listen if i go somewhere and my stuff isn't accurate and hitting behind the pin i make a change and if i make a change i'm certainly not going to talk about what i did before when it didn't work so um I don't know. This whole phone call honestly just came to light because I made a post this morning on my Instagram account. Just I'm working on a bow for a friend of mine that's going to be at the Total Archery Challenge with me. And I, I kind of posted a picture of just a slow motion shot and said, hey, this is what I look for. I look for air flight and I look for grouping. I'm not like I'm not an FOC nut. I'm not into, um, I don't know, just there's so many different things that people try to overcomplicate arrow building. Um, 
And I don't know, I thought you'd be a perfect person to ask. I didn't know you're in the middle of a, well, I should have known you're in the middle of some heat. You always are in some kind of heat. But so I don't know, what's your, what's your thought process to it? Like, where do you, from your aspect, what do you really care about in, in regards to aero performance, whether it's in relation to spine, aero type or fletching? I mean, what are you looking for? Man, I mean, the first thing is just, for me, it's flight, you know, and that was with a, a compound and uh, or a stick bow, right? It's, it's got to be flying pretty straight. Uh, this is hunting, not tournaments, because I've had some goofy flying tournament bows that just grouped straight up really well. Um, they didn't tear perfectly or what have you. But, you know, with a, a broadhead on the front of it, I worry about flight. And, and like you, I mean... And everyone keep in mind, John sprung this on me about five minutes ago, so it's not like we've had time to talk so we could be totally different here. But after that, I I worry about it grouping, obviously. And, uh, you know, one, usually they kind of coincide with each other. Generally, when they're flying good, uh, they're going to group good. After that, you know, I worry, obviously, when I say worry, you know, kind of the pre-determination I have with a guy when I'm setting up his bow is here you want to be roughly around you know this arrow weight for what you're hunting and as long as that arrow requirement is hit i don't worry about foc as much as you know some do obviously i like a decent amount of point weight but i don't get too hyped up as long as you know 125 up front on a hunting arrow uh you know anything you know 150 somewhere in there i don't get too 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 worried about the foc i just worry about flight and uh you know and grouping i think copy what you said yeah i think foc is i think it's important to 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 have an idea keep it in the back of your mind but you know if you're shooting an arrow of today and i say that meaning a lot of the arrows today are straight they're fairly lightweight and they give you the ability to put 125 to 100 at you know for me 175 total point weight in the front and they're still going to have good ballistic characteristics in the field and be be good in the field as a hunter you know i feel like if i'm shooting an arrow that's too heavy and my pin gaps are massive and I'm having to know the difference between a 52-yard shot or a 56-yard shot, That's to me, that sucks. In a hunting scenario, Like I want to be able to have a speed out of an arrow that allows me to react on the fly and not have to be continually ranging. Um, but I also feel like if an arrow is flying good, for the most part, at least then you're at a clean slate of if it's flying good now, how does it group? If it's fly, if it has poor flight characteristics out of the bow, then it's really hard to determine whether or not that spine actually matches your setup. If you have good aeroflight flight first, which is kind of why I paper tune and why I like to take a little bit of slow motion footage of the arrows coming out of my bows. It's like, yeah, this has, no obstruction, it's coming out good. And then once it's downrange, personally, I look at my left to right grouping because if my, and this is what I wrote 
over a decade ago, I wrote an article called Horizontal Impact Line. And what that is, is your horizontal grouping. If it's spread out straight across, then it's an indicator that the spine isn't matching the bow setup correctly. Now, if it does start to match it correctly, then the arrows will be tight. And yes, they could be tight, but a little bit further right of the center shot or tight, but a little bit further left of center shot. But nonetheless, the arrow flight's true. They're grouping tight. And now once I actually adjust my sight on a compound to that setup, it honestly, it tells me pretty quick whether or not I'm in the right ballpark for an arrow. Well, okay, kind of to add to that, one thing that, that I, I guess, preach to, to people, especially um, depending upon what range you're walking into and everything else, is I, I try to tune the arrow to the bow, meaning spine, arrow length, and point weight, so you don't get a left tear and a right impact, a right tear and a left impact, or, or tail wag back and forth. And a lot of times if you get a left or right tear, a lot of archery ranges just rip the arrow rest one way or the other, where I'll try to, rather than doing that, cut the arrow shorter or longer, however you look at it, or add or take away point weight. All of this, well, you're good enough at it. You know, you can kind of see the future when you go to set up a bow, meaning a guy, you know, tells me, okay, I want a 500 grain arrow roughly. I want to be about this speed. You know, he's going to give me some parameters, a blueprint to work off of. I'm going to know his draw length. I'm going to say, hey, you know, you're going to have to add or take, you know, Rob Peter to pay Paul, so to speak. You're going to have to, you're going to lose a little speed to have that much arrow weight, or you're going to have to drop down to this arrow weight to reach that speed that you want. And all of that, as we're talking, is going to tell me the spine of the arrow and potential point weight he wants. To, to get going, and I, I don't know how much this is what you're wanting to talk to me about, but once I know that, and, and they say it's a, you know, we end up with a, I don't know, 350 spine arrow, and we've got a 150 grains up front. Once that's all set up, and the, and the, the bow is set up, you know, knock point, or knock height, and everything else, um, when I have him shoot with you know, the, 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 the bear shaft thing for a stick bow was more important to me to get a base idea than with a compound. I didn't mess around with it as much with a compound. I'd fling a couple through the paper as a bear shaft, but the most important thing is I had a vertical line that I would run out from 20 to 80, and I would have them shoot at that vertical line. And I don't know if you do it that way, but that tells a lot of the tale right there on you know what's going on and and when you put a broadhead on that i don't know if people understand this as well as they should if you're carrying knock left coming out of the bow and you've got a big bladed broadhead on the front as it's coming out of the bow you're going to impact farther and farther right at, at distance meaning you're carrying weak so rather than torque the arrow rest over i try to correct it with the spine of the arrow the length of the arrow and the point weight of the arrow and once I get all those right, generally you don't run into too many problems. I think, and I mean, correct me what, or tell me what you think. A lot of the issues that people have today is they'll get a, some of it will be they'll have this idea in their mind that they want 
pick a number, 23% FOC. Good and they kind of disregard, yeah, something crazy, <laughs> right? They disregard everything else, right? They're only worried about the FOC or they will, um, as they're shooting, they will, um, you know, crank over, they, they won't yoke tune. They won't maybe put some extra pressure on the, um, cable slide. There's all kinds of little tweaks and, and things that you can do if your spine is correct and there's not enough knowledge out there to where one way or another, um, you know, bad arrow flight is kind of what happens in the end. I don't know. How do you, when you're tuning or whatever, do you just basically set up the bow? Do you tune the arrow to the bow and cut it down as far as lengthwise until it tunes out or add and take away point weight? Well, it's kind of a loaded question because when it comes to this stuff, it's, it's, it's a very common, it's like the common saying, there's a hundred different ways to skin the cat, right? I mean, there's depending on your time in the field as an archer and especially as a bow technician, you start to realize there's a hundred different ways for me to get to the same denominator. I can go down this route or I can go down that route or I can go down this route. I mean, I can certainly start cutting arrows or I can start playing quickly with point weight just enough to where it all of a sudden gives me an identifier on the paper. So I guess just to backtrack for those listening, um, this is, I guess one, this is a a fairly immediate, uh, intermediate to high level podcast in relation to some of the terms that we're talking about. If you're brand new to this, this is going to be somewhat confusing and you might have to have someone segue you through this that has some understanding of what we're talking about. But there's some basic things to where if you're sitting at home right now, listening to this podcast, if you have a pad and a paper, these are the things that you need to factor in that you need to understand that affect an arrow. If an arrow is longer, essentially it makes that shaft act weaker. You know, if we're at a baseline of, let's just say we have a 28-inch arrow shaft. If that arrow shaft's 29 inches, it's going to act weaker. If it's 27 inches, it's going to act stiffer. So the shorter you make that object, the stiffer it's going to become. If you add point weight to it, it's going to get weaker. If you take point weight away, it's going to get stronger. If you add weight to the back of the shaft, meaning if you add weight back at the tail end of the shaft, like extra fletchings, lighted knocks, you know, heavier cresting, whatever, uh, it actually acts in the reverse of the front. It, it acts as if it's stiffening it a little bit because that extra mass weight back there actually is absorbing the arrow that's being or absorbing the energy that's being thrust upon that arrow. So if you know those basic principles of an arrow, then whether or not you're doing what Aaron's saying, which is take an arrow, and if you feel like that arrow's weak, if you have the ability, cut cut that arrow down. Now it becomes stiffer. Even though it's the same spine arrow, it becomes stiffer. If you feel like it's acting too too stiff, then 
if you know if you have more arrows try arrows that are longer or you can take that same arrow and if you feel like it's too stiff put point weight in it if all of a sudden now the results are what you want it's showing you that with that arrow acting weaker because you added the extra point weight in now it's telling you okay this bow setup likes this particular projectile at a slightly weaker spine so at that point you're able to decide do i stay at the point weight i originally wanted but need a longer shaft so that it's acting weaker or can i just take the shaft that i have and add point weight in so it's acting weaker and giving me the results that i want so i mean there's so many different variables whether you're cutting the shaft having a longer shaft having a lighter point having a heavier point or having more weight on the tail end there's like a lot of different ways to achieve the same thing or adding and taking away bow poundage oh yeah which is another <laughs> yeah. well and, and with what you're you know you're talking about which we're we're basically saying the same thing i think where it gets sticky because i don't no one's going to argue with that is and i get into this battle all the time with bare shaft tuning tuning with uh you know what basically having feathers or or veins or whatever you want on there tuning with those tuning with paper group tuning and the one thing i will say without a doubt is i generally will fling a bare shaft through paper or at the target real quick just to see what it's doing. The problem is, is I've had both out of compounds and stick bows, bullet hole bear shafts that a fixed blade broadhead flew straight up like shit. But sorry if I'm not supposed to cuss. And when you look at slow-mo footage or what I found as the paradox of the air or whatever, it's flexing coming out of the bow, no matter how it tears, sometimes, especially with heavier FOC, that arrow takes longer to recover. The longer it takes to recover, in my opinion, the far worse chance you have of getting a fixed blade to fly perfect. And that's just kind of the nature of the beast. And that's where people get in trouble with bear shaft tuning. It's just because the bear shaft groups, uh, you know, let's say at 20 yards with your fletched arrows, or just because your bear shaft shoots through paper, it does not mean the broadhead is going to hit where you want it to all the time. And you and I may disagree with that totally, but that has been what I have found. And I, and I would argue that one to the death. Well, Hey man, I've had bows that I can guarantee you. I have bows that I would challenge any archer on earth to show me that it's possible to shoot any better. I mean, you can bring me whatever you want, archer, bow combination, whatever you want, and show me something that could potentially shoot better than some of the setups that I've gone to tournaments with. And I can tell you that those setups is deadly accurate as they were to where, like with shooting machines, they could just shoot in the same holes at you know, in perfect conditions with the shooting machine, really at any distance you wanted. And I had, I'll guarantee you, the FOC probably was not over 14%. Uh, I can tell you that several times I've had bows that were that accurate, but 
wouldn't give a perfect bear shaft tear. You know, a lot of times they were consistently high left. Um, but when it came to how quick that arrow recovered, started spinning true, and hit the mark, it was as good as I could ever ask for. So I think paper tuning is good for identifying problems like for example if you shoot a bow through paper and it gives you a certain tear and then you make an adjustment and it gives you the same tear that's telling you something even though you've moved the arrow rest something is not correct whether it's contact whether it's arrow spine it's an indicator so if i have that where i'm getting generally generally clean arrow flight out of the bow and i move outside i mean Normally, the first thing I do when I'm getting these bows is I get a good 20-yard mark, and then I'm trying to get back to 80 or 100 as fast as I can to see what that bow's doing at that distance. And if it's sitting there, you know, shooting fletchings off at 80 yards, what is it to me, whether or not I'm a 12% FOC or a 13% FOC or whether I'm a 13 or a 17 it really doesn't like I feel like at that point I'm splitting hairs and a lot of times for people out there that are trying to buy arrows for themselves if you're trying to be in these very extreme FOC categories you're pretty much limiting yourself to like a very few number of arrows that are on the market to where they're going to be stiff enough to take that much point weight in the front of the arrow and I'm just not, I'm not convinced by tournament results over decades of archers that I know are the winningest archers in the history that I'll guarantee you aren't going out there with ridiculously high FOC. Um, and then also just people that I know that are just straight up killers in the field in the hunting woods that are shooting a projectile that's favorable to where they can understand the wind drift and they're minimizing wind drift but at the same sense they're also shooting something to where they're not having to be able to set their sight between 52 yards and 50 and a half yards you know they're able to to put their 50 yard pin on there you know maybe hold it a fuzz high and and let it rip yeah, uh, well, and it, I think we're agreeing on the, uh, for the most part, on some of that stuff. I mean, would you agree you've had good uh, bear shaft tears with fixed blades that didn't hit well? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I've had perfect, like, picture-perfect tears to where that's all I strived for was a bear shaft hole and, a like, a dot with three slices on it on paper and I've gone out and gone down range and they just shot like dog shit. And then I have another one that I have a little bit of a little bit of something out of the bow, but they just wad up down range. And in the end it's like, wait a minute, am I going to be am I going to be upset because the fletchings which I put on there in order to give the arrow stability Am I going to be upset because out of the bow there's a slight variant 
but by the time it gets to 10 yards, the veins are doing what they're designed to do and stabilizing that arrow and hitting the exact mark at every distance beyond that. Like, I'm totally content. I've had bows that don't necessarily bear shaft or tune perfectly, but group perfectly. And I've had some that are exactly the opposite. And I think if you are a stickler for what your arrow's doing in a non-hunting situation, then you're kind of setting yourself up for a disappointment downrange. You, you potentially could be. I, I agree with that. And, and, and I will say I am not um, anti-FOC, but I am pro-common sense. And <laughs> That's a good way to put it. Common sense. Well, man, I get into some of these. Uh, well, I stopped arguing quite. Well, actually, I took the advice from you. I think you told me, why are you arguing? And that, that, that made a lot of sense. But the thing is, is if a guy's walking into the whitetail woods, for example, um, with a, I don't know, 475 grain arrow and 125 up front, um, I don't know why there would ever be any argument that his bow is not sufficient enough to take down a white tail for example i mean that's a fairly heavy arrow whether he's got 125 or 225 up front um if the arrow's flying perfect it's grouping well and everything that you need foc is is not the at the forefront of, of my mind it's probably if it was in tiers like one being least important and 10 being most important it's probably four or five, right? I'm worried about uh, all the things we've talked about and obviously durable components, all those different things. The FOC part, I don't worry about as much as the total arrow weight. If I've got a choice of a 18% FOC arrow that weighs, um, I don't know, pick a number, 500 grains, uh, and depending upon the spine of the arrow, and that's where people need to understand this. If you've got a 500-grain arrow, depending upon how much point weight you have, that could vary two charts. That could be a 400-spine, a 350, or a 300-spine arrow, depending upon what type of arrow it is, what it is grains per inch, and how much point weight you have up front. Well, as long as it's 500 grains within reason, common sense, I really don't get too wound up whether it's 113 grains, 115, 125, or 200 up front. As long as it's, you know, decent amount of weight and it's grouping good, I wouldn't stress over it. And I get maybe not as many emails as you, maybe more, I don't know. Um, I'm only at 13.4% FOC. Everything's grouping good, but I'm thinking about redoing all my setup. And I'm like, well, what's your arrow weigh? Oh, 485. Uh, I'm like, well, wh what's the effing problem? Like, go hunting. Like, what are you going to do? You're going to tear apart a perfectly good system that weighs almost 500 grains because you're only at 13% FOC? That makes no sense. And I, I don't know how much you, you deal with that, but I deal with it a lot. Well, I mean, I wonder how many how many animals the old timers killed with a freaking 2317 super slam with a hundred grain thunderhead on the front. I can <laughs> tell you the ones I know a pile. And, yeah. You know, Tom, Tom Clum is a, a stick bow guy here and he, he's a coach and everything else. And he, he laughs about it. He's like, Hey, I'm not saying FOC is bad. I'm just telling you, I killed a lot of elk 
with a yeah, like you said, a twenty two sixteen with a you know aluminum insert and a hundred grain point up front. I didn't know any better. I just shot stuff and it killed it. You know, he's like, yeah, you know, we've learned a little bit more, but uh, you know, don't get too wrapped up into it. Um, and, and that's what you know people have to understand. In my opinion, you're, you're going from like a, a level two tuning a normal setup, level three, and as far as in bow tuning or archery knowledge, when you get into an FOC, extreme FOC setup, you've got to shoot straight to level five. You have got to know the ins and outs of everything to start messing with F, like high or, or extreme FOC. You can't go into that as a rookie or you're going to go home crying because you just spent $300 on a dozen arrow setup that doesn't fly. I mean, you really have to know what you're doing when you start playing that game. Well, you know what's funny too is when I when I go through when I see the people that are really talking about this, or even the people that email me and and they're asking, and they're asking because people they really look up to are talking so heavily about it, and they're trying to make these decisions, and then in the end, I go to like watch a few videos of just them shooting, and it's like, wait a minute you aren't shooting at a level to where you really are able to know this stuff. Like you have to be a hundred percent confident that you're shooting really good shots to where you're able to actually measure your results downrange. because there's people where I can build a bow for them. I can go out and shoot dots at 80 yards with that bow and then give it to them and they're kind of you know spraying stuff all over the place and it's like okay if this person was trying to make arrow building decisions he's going to make those decisions based off his results on paper and his results on paper aren't really accurate because they're not shooting from a technique point of view at a level that allows them to be able to show those results you know it'd be like i don't know Bad be, data. yeah yeah it'd be like someone coming to me and saying hey we're gonna test this new uh this new freaking pill we're oh, trying perfect. to f- yeah we're trying to figure out you know i don't know what it does to a protein enzyme and i'm like okay yeah cool i mean i'm a healthy guy i lift and i watch my diet and stuff so yeah let me tell you what it does and then meanwhile there's someone like my son that's trying to get a doctorate in you know chemistry that's just like wait a minute hold on dude like you're missing some of the key elements of this like your data means nothing because you're not able to to execute it from kind of a chemistry 101 point of view so i think people really need to do a good job of paying attention to what are my capabilities let's kind of backtrack here stick with some of the basics which are understanding certain things like honestly people if you're not if you really take a true evaluation of yourself and say okay if archery like has levels and one being a beginner and 10 being a jedi master i feel like i'm comfortably kind of in that four area well if you're in a four area it's kind of hard for you to all of a sudden make these these arrow 
related assumptions that are on a 10 level, the better thing for you to do would be like, okay, hey, I'm at this four level. I'm going to start maybe fletching some of my own arrows and seeing, you know, what happens when I take a short vein versus a long vein? What happens when I put 120 grains in the point versus 75 grains in the point? What happens if I put a four fletch on versus a three fletch on? What happens if I'm using a feather versus Aaron's new veins? Like if you stick with those, one, you're going to not confuse yourself, but also you're probably going to start seeing actual results for the first time on the range. So, man, I cannot agree more. And what I have um, kind of gotten to as far as is is advice, for example, is, uh, you know, if you take um, duct tape or, or Luco tape, whatever, something that's like an inch to an inch and a half tall. And I'll tell guys, hey, if you stretch that across the target at 40 yards, if you cannot hit that every time, um, and you're tr- or vertically or horizontally, um, and you're trying to get different data, you're going to have, as I said to you, bad data. And I said, but once you get to a skill level um, to where you're consistently hitting that piece of tape, you know, and I'm just picking 40 because I think that's anybody should be able to hit duct tape, especially at 40 yards consistently. Now I say, hey. As you're tuning, you know, man, shoot 100 and 125 grain tips out of the arrow. See what happens with those. You're going to see a difference between the two. And how I try to let, you know, when guys are testing systems, I'll say, hey, take a black, red, and a blue Sharpie. With those three setups you have, make sure and circle, um, you know, as you're shooting groups, each different setup. So you know at the end of the day, Okay, my blue group, which is 125 up front and four two and three quarter inch veins, that had the tightest group that hit the tape the most. And obviously, you can you know figure this out however you want. Once you're able to do that, I agree with you. Then you can really start grabbing data and and choosing what works best for each archer. I think most people though are kind of diving into that or even much farther above that without the ability to even hit the damn tape. And, and, and they're not just not going to get what they need to, uh, and they're going to spend a lot of money doing it with probably really bad results on the way. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. A very, very good way to put it. Unfortunately, the only, the only negative part about that is based on, like, DMs that I've answered, I'll guarantee you that there's people out there that I've talked to that have setups that they've – you know, gone wherever they go to get their setup and they've built them this bow and they built them this arrow setup to where even you and I probably couldn't hit that tape every time at that distance. (laughs) See, that's, that's, that's the frustrating part is, you know, there's times where I've grabbed someone's bow and I've been like, let me shoot that for a second. And then when I shoot it, I I just flat out can look at them and be like, Hey, Dude, there's nothing you're going to do about how this is hitting because you have a broomstick trying to shoot out of an old rubber band bow. Like, you know, this is just not going to work. But certainly there are times where I've said, okay, here's how your bow can shoot. And then people are like, oh. And I'm like, once you can do that, then you can start asking me about changes. But you got to be able to do that first. 
You have to be able to do that. Yeah. One thing I think we should talk about then, you brought up a, a really cool point. Like on a on a if we were to itemize things, you know, one being least important important and 10 being most important when it comes to you know arrows or so forth like you said foc is probably around four i agree with that right i agree with that four or five let's just say it's somewhere in that category okay let's look at what's most important i would say what's most important are going to be one of two things and you can tell me if you disagree one is going to be the straightness or the quality of the arrow and the consistency of the arrow. And I'm going to put that at 10 or, or nine. It can be one of those two. And then the next one is going to be right next to that is going to be spine match. In other words, how that spine actually matches the setup. I think those two are going to be, of the highest priority to what is going to truly affect an arrow, the straightness and consistency of the spine, and then also how that spine matches the bow that you're shooting it out of. No, I, I agree a hundred percent. The thing that people need to understand is, is with those two, that when you go into a hunting scenario, those two become even more important, especially shooting fixed blades, meaning you can get away with a lot more with the field point. You notice those two things you listed even more when you're shooting a giant, sharp, flat-bladed, pointy object. They stick out. You know, they're, they're, they're even more important then, and that's what people need to think about before they step in the woods is if they buy a cheaper or a less consistent arrow, they may think they're winning the race with a field tip on when in fact they're in deep caca when they put a broadhead on. Um, and those two things are really make that stick out. Yep. Yep. Okay. Well, honestly, while we're talking, I've already just been making notes. I'm only missing a few numbers, but so here's what I have written down. I'm missing a few gaps. Um, number 10, I personally said was straightness. I think if your arrow's straight, even if the spine is a little bit off, I think it's probably going to still outgroup an incorrect spine match. So I'm going to say straightness and tolerance. Um, number nine, I said spine match. Spine match to the bow. Number eight, which we hadn't talked about yet, I just put was knock fit. In other words, how the knock fits on your serving. I think that's very high on my list. I think that that is probably, and, and we we could probably argue the the nine and ten with anyone, but everybody would agree nine and ten should be nine and ten, one or the other. Um, I think that the probably the most overlooked is not just how it snaps on, but that is extremely important, but also how you have tied your D loop on because your 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 knot could snap on the string perfectly and then your d loop is pinching the crap out of it but knock i think that bite's got more guys in the ass when it snaps on way too tight it's stringing on that string for way too long yep. and that is a huge issue and the pro shop does not give a shit they want to get you out the door 
So the last thing I think they worry about is some when it do, snaps some on. do. They may we can't, we can't like yeah. say everybody because there's certainly sorry. There's shop, yeah. <laughs> there, I mean, pro shops are the lifeblood to everything. There are there are very good pro shops, and certainly there's times a year where even good pro shops are so busy to where they may cut corners. Um, but I think as a consumer, and I've said this on the podcast before, and I'll say it again, as a consumer, going in to get the best care minutes before you leave for a hunt is your fault. Like, that's your fault. Yeah. If you go in right now, you're probably, you know, you go into an archery shop, well, today's Wednesday. Today's Wednesday. It's 4 o'clock on a Wednesday. Like, you go into an archery shop right now, you're going to, like, good for you. <laughs> that's a perfect time to take like three hours of vacation, schedule an appointment with the pro shop. Say, listen, I need some time. I really want to make sure everything's right. Go in when they're slow and you'll make sure that they're not pressured to get a bunch of people out the door in the same day. Yeah. You don't want the Friday night before season bow build. Um, <laughs> because, and that is your fault. And, and I, I do, I agree with what you're, you're saying. And, and I, and I, I'm not being, I'm trying not to be overly hard on pro shops. Cause there is, I have the two I work with here are unbelievable, but I would say you going in knowing that you don't want a specific tight knock fit in case the guys knew, let's say, or he's just trying to hurry because it is busy. It's good for you to know that. It's good for you that you're bringing that up. And for the person going into the shop, you know, if it takes three men and a small boy to snap your knock on the string, you might want to throw up some caution and say, hey, man, I don't think this is right. Because um, you'll never get it right if it, if it is not, you know, if it is snapping too tight or too loose to the string. Yeah. And, and if it is too tight, then what happens is you start to build a flat spot on your serving. Once that happens, and you shoot through the summer, it's inevitable that you're going to probably have to throw a twist or two on your string to get your, you know, as your string settles and just elongates with heat. Uh, you know, you try to center your peep again by adding a few twists. Well, now that flat spot is kind of like a rudder on a on a submarine. You start to turn that to different places, and as you snap the arrow on, it's it might be really, really smooth in one place, but then super, super tight another way. And then, yeah, knock pinch is massive. Um, both of those are super correlated. Um, number seven, I put as the projectile. So what you have on the front of the arrow, I think, is you know kind of right there close to the knock fit you know if you're trying to shoot a an inch and a half or a two inch long fixed blade broadhead that's an inch and a half cut well that's going to be a problem uh you know you do have to recognize your projectile because your projectile is going to strongly dictate which is what i put next to it at number six would be the fletching yeah, and I would say uh, the projectile, and, and this is maybe a little off base, but making sure that projectile is spinning, um, you know, perfectly and your arrow is square as well. Anything to do with that end of the arrow is, is going to be pretty freaking vital. 
and and those are other things that people don't take into consideration i yeah. think or, or or miss or skip that's actually valid so let's uh let's actually move projectile to 6 let's move fletching to 5 number 7 is going to be tolerances meaning yeah squareness so um, I'm a big fan of that uh, G5 ASD, which is an arrow squaring yeah. device. It allows you to money f- in the <laughs> yeah. It allows you to file off your arrows so that your cuts are perfectly square. Um, the BAR adapters that I have standard with the Knock On Arrow series, I think, make a huge difference on broadhead alignment, but also in that same category is how your components actually fit in the shaft. So how your knock fits in the shaft. And part of the reason why I picked the shafts that I did for at least my series is I just, I'm a huge fan of the X knock. I love how X knocks fits most of the factory servings. And I also like how the X knocks compare to um, a lot of the lighted knocks that are on the market. And I like how, I don't know, I like how they snap on a string. So, yeah, I think tolerances is number seven. That projectile can come in at number six. And then right there in the middle of the list is your fletchings. You know, I think if anything above the fletching isn't correct, it's going to, it's probably going to be a wash. Um, And then at that point, you know, what's your, I guess, what's your thoughts on fletchings? Man, I, I think that um, when you get down to this level of the list, you're starting to really, I don't want to say micro-tune, but you're you're really at a point where you're you're perfecting perfection um, or, or you're shooting a paper plate at 60, let's say, and you start messing with fletchings and you're shrinking that to the size of uh, a cantaloupe. Um, you know, when I, when I start messing with fletchings, um, you know, whether it be straight offset, uh, you know, helical, um, you know, the different lengths, the amount of them, three or four fletch, I think you've got a pretty good system if you just do it right to begin with, but you're perfecting that. And, and I, I would agree with where it's kind of at on the list. Um, for example, I don't think you want to shoot, um, nothing wrong with the blazer vein. Um, I, I, I don't use them myself. You're not going to want to shoot three blazer veins with an inch and a half fixed blade. You're probably going to have to put a little bit more juice on the end of that arrow or on the back of that arrow for steerability. And so those are the things that, like I said, with common sense, people really need to think about. You, you can't, uh, you, you really have to have the back end matching the front when you start throwing broadheads on the front. You can't get away with as much with a smaller flesh with a bigger head, in my opinion. So, What's your thoughts on whether or not you want the front of the arrow to lead the back or whether you feel like the fletchings actually need to have the full ab- ability to steer the front? Man, that's a tough one. Um, that <laughs> really is. dives down the FOC wormhole. So just so people kind of understand and you can maybe explain it better than me. The idea being here is you throw enough weight on the front, it's like throwing a rock with a string tied to it, and you need less fletching on the back because the very high point weight 
is doing most of the job, um, which in some cases that is, is somewhat true that you can get away with less fleshings. Um, uh, the, the biggest problem I found is, 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 you know, with my setup, uh, I shoot decent FOC and a heavy arrow and that is out the window. It does not work. Um, and I will challenge that to anyone with a shooting machine or, 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 or just shooting it yourself. If you're shooting decent FOC or high FOC and a heavy arrow, um, you've got to have some big fletching or decent sized fletching on the back. It will, will not compensate. Um, you know, to me, any time that you're throwing that much point weight on the front of the arrow, you're kind of in a different league where it's going to um, overpower the amount of fletching in the back. I, I think that that's something that most people probably aren't going to need to worry about. All right. Well, I agree with that. So I've got three other things written down, and we need to categor- We need to number them. we got to number them in, I guess, order of least important to important so here's what i wrote down tell me if there's something i'm missing i wrote down overall diameter of the arrow i wrote down overall weight and then i also wrote down travelability the ability to travel so Mm -hmm. what do you think what's number three um i'd say overall weight um and then i'd probably put diameter after that all right. Well, I like it. I like it. And I and I think travelability is is important because you know, we talked at the beginning of the podcast about feathers and I know as in, yeah, years ago, well, years ago as an indoor shooter when I was first kind of shooting my indoor leagues um and I was really working towards getting 2315s and and 26 12s to shoot well um i learned that at you know at 18 meters the name of the game was getting this really large diameter arrow that in a lot of cases wasn't particularly matched for the bow setup i'm shooting but it did give me questionably the ability to break more lines on a scoring field i realized that that projectile that technically was overspined for my setup i wanted to stabilize it as fast as possible and feathers helped me stabilize faster and they did shoot really well but the problem is once i started traveling overseas all the time the the travelability of those feathers were just really hard to maintain well, man, I, I tell you, I, I would have killed three men and a small baby to have veins on the 11th day of my grizzly hunt because it snowed every day or rained. And not just, I'd say, travelability, but, I mean, you can lump that into everything. If you're a backpack hunter, if you hunt in wet weather, um, you can damage a feather, I mean, literally just by setting something on top of it which becomes an epic pain in the butt. And if you add weather into that, um, it can become a serious, serious problem. So, yeah, I, I agree with you. And I guess I would say or would add to this list because I, I can see the emails you and I are going to get putting, you know, arrow weight down fairly low. Like I said in the beginning, there's some common sense involved here. 
I, I'm not pulling the full-on Gillingham where I'm saying shoot a 350-grain arrow with a mechanical broadhead and a 50-pound bow. Um, I'm saying with common sense, arrow weight is not that important. Like, if you're shooting a heavy enough arrow, it really isn't that big of a deal if you're, if you're within line of what you're hunting. And, I, I mean, I don't know if you agree with that or not, but common sense has to be involved in this list as well. Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, a hundred percent. I personally, um, well, arrow weight's important at, you know, I personally like, so it's hard because I've said this in a lot of different ways over the past podcast, but as bows continue to get faster, all I've done is try to increase the overall weight of my projectile to keep my speed around the 285 mark, which is a speed that allows me to shoot a magnitude of fletches, a magnitude of broadheads, and I'm able to have really good results down range. And if for some setups that might be an arrow that's 500 grains, and for other setups it might be an arrow that's 580 grains. But the arrow weight overall, I'm adjusting higher or lower depending on me trying to kind of stay at a speed that I'm comfortable with. Now, in saying that, when I was going through my rehab with my shoulder and I was shooting lighter poundage, I went back to an ACC arrow, 400 grains. I was still shooting around 285 feet per second, even though I was only shooting like you know, 60 pounds max or 55 pounds max. And I killed an elk with that. Now, am I going to take a quarter and two shot at 30 yards? No way. Did I know flat out, you know, I need to shoot a responsible broadhead. I need to have a broadside shot. I'm not going to try to ram it through, you know, a full shoulder bone. Um, you know, you have to factor those things in. It's no different than my wife or my boy. You know, they shoot 40 pounds or 50 pounds or shooting a, a Axis 500. They're, but, you know, I'm not letting them shoot a Rage. I'm having them shoot a Muzzy Trocar, a small diameter fixed blade head that's cutting really fast. And you know what? They don't, I don't let them shoot 40 yards. They're shooting, you know, 30 yards or closer. The animal needs to be broadside. If it's a super large animal, like when Sharon shot kudu or wildebeest, it's 20 yards or less, quarter and away. And it's responsible. You know, I think depending on what you're shooting, I had a good friend of mine, um, and I'm not going to say his name, but I built a bow for him last week. He called me and he said, man, I don't really know what I should do. You got me shooting the FMJs, but when I shot that Yukon moose, he's like, I just didn't get much penetration. And I said, well, what broadhead were you shooting? And he, and he's, you know, his draw length isn't super long. His poundage is average. And he shot a big jackknife style mechanical head on a Yukon moose. And he said, yeah, I just, I dead centered a rib. And I'm like, Hey man, if you're going to dead center a rib on a Yukon moose with a broadhead that has to go in an inch and a half before the blades are contacting and you're losing all this energy as they're flipping backwards, like 
that was a poor judgment call. You know, the overall weight of your arrow, yeah, the overall weight of your arrow was good. But what was on the front of it was not, you know, that that wasn't good, which is why I feel like the projectile should be rated higher than the overall weight because, you know, you look at, hey, I still know guys that are straight-up assassins, and they're shooting 420-grain arrows. Like, they're like, I love my arrow at 420 grains. And then there's guys like Bill Winky that's just all about the speed, man. I'm talking super light arrows. Just he doesn't want string jumpers. He's all about like just getting the arrow there as fast as possible. Uh, another person that's on that same uh, list is Jim Bath, just a you know an old time big buck assassin out of Kansas. He's all about just light broadheads super fast arrows just not wanting a whitetail to jump his string and in that application it's suitable but he's also not shooting a moose he's not shooting a elk so i think all that stuff has to factor in well i mean i not to beat a dead horse to death when you talk about broadheads um I, the way that you put it, a responsible head is very good. If if you take a uh, a two by four and uh, you tape an arrow to it, and uh, you know take a, a hide, you know a hide from an animal, and you put a cut on contact fixed blade, um, and then you take the pressure down and you watch the scale, you know it's going to be five or six pounds to penetrate that hide. You go up to uh, well, you shoot rages some, don't you? Uh. What do you mean some? I shoot them like 90% of the time. That's what I meant. Rage at sea, you can tell how much I pay attention to you. Sorry, don't hate me. So those, you're going to be up around 30 or 40 pounds. Does that make that a bad broadhead? Hell no. I mean, that broadhead has killed a ton of animals, but the setup has to coincide um, with that head. And a lot of my buddies that are um, guides, or a few anyway, especially for black bear, they love the Rage Broadhead because of the hole it leaves. Now, obviously, if a guy goes and hunts moose, like you said, that's going to change. You know, you're going to shift around. And it, it people have to think about that ahead of time. And you can't blame your equipment if you throw a kind of momentum-sucking broadhead onto the end of an arrow that doesn't have a lot of momentum. So, you know, when I say common sense, um, you know, it's important that people understand that. And you can't. You can't shoot a, a fixed blade broadhead and expect it to group at 80 yards shooting 320 feet per second. I'm not saying it's impossible, but it's a hell of a lot more possible at 275 to 285. Um, yep. yeah, and, and sure. I think people forget that and they need to you know keep that in their mind. Yeah, and I'm I'm uh, I feel like at well one I have a long draw length. You know I've got a. Th- a 30 and a half inch draw length when I'm hunting. Um, I haven't found anything that I haven't been comfortable sh- shooting one of my tripans at personally. Um, you know, I've killed everything up to a moose with it, but yeah, if you're a 28 inch draw length shooting only 70 pounds or shooting mid sixties, then yeah, it might be very wise for you to look at like a Rage Plus P, which has a, a much more gradual cutting diameter to it. Or, you know, maybe, like I said, like a Muzzy Trocar or something 
to where, you know, you're not absorbing the bulk of your energy trying to go in. And I think a lot of people make more mistakes doing that than anything. And, you know, some of the guys that are shooting some of these new systems that are the very extreme FOC systems, you know, they're thoroughly impressed by the penetration. But if you're shooting a single bevel broadhead on the front of almost any projectile, well, it's gonna, it's gonna penetrate. I mean, it's for sure gonna, but the problem is it's not going to bail you out for a, for a marginal hit like what my tripan does. I can guarantee you that. So, you know, when I factor everything in and I've had this conversation uncounted number of times with Rogan because, you know, he's kind of a, a tech nut. Uh, I've just told him like, listen, dude, there's only like five to 10% of an animal that I would prefer not to hit with a tripan or a rage. There's 90% of that that I can hit, and if I make a marginal hit, I would rather have that head than any other head out there for the 90%. So I'm going with the majority. Like That's my opinion, and I've had times where I've had, and a moose was one of them. I shot at a moose uh, at a very quartering shot. I was probably only eight inches left of where I needed to be, but at that super hard quartering angle, went right in like the back ham and just buried right to the knock. So, you know, the broadhead made it up to the liver and lung, but the where it entered, it didn't look good on, you know, on quote-unquote film. But that moose was dead in 60 yards, like, running, like, just... When we found him dead, his front legs were tucked back. His heads were jammed in some willows. I mean, he died on the run faster than, probably faster than if I would have just punched him through both lungs. So it's, for me, those types of situations is why I continue to say, listen, I can I can go through the variables and we can do podcasts for unlimited number of hours on why I shoot this, why I shoot that, why I shoot this. I think... Honestly, between you and I, if we really gave out the full number of fatalities to our archery gear, I think it would be like probably not acceptable to a lot of people. And so my factors to my equations just base off the fact of, listen, there's hunts where I go on where someone just says, hey, I need you to... I need you to come here for population control. You need to come here and, you know, eradicate 20 to 30 things this weekend if you can. And guess what? On those trips, I take all kinds of arrows and all kinds of broadheads, and I see all kinds of things. Do I go public about it? Do I post about it? No. But I also just, like, I'm going to make a note. Don't promote that. Don't talk about this. Stick with this. These worked really good. Man, I, I can't agree with you more. I mean, I actually got asked that because of the, the stick bow thing and recently, and I said, I don't even want to talk about it because I've been on hunts where, you know, we need this many does take it or there's too many hogs. But I have 
six different broadheads in the quiver because I want to learn while I'm doing it. And, and that's the, the best way to learn. And I think that, um, you know, while we're you know kind of running down the rabbit hole, you know, with the broadheads and everything else, um, I cannot agree with you more on the mechanical broadhead side of thing when it, when it, when it makes sense. Um, I had a guy on my podcast who thought for some reason I was like pro fixed blade, little like penetration. And he brought it up waiting for this argument. And I'm looking at him like, dude, what are you, what are you talking about? I'm like, you make a marginal hit. I want the largest hole possible. Like I am pro inch and three quarter mechanical. Like you, you couldn't find someone more pro than that. Obviously the setup has to, to match that, but just to touch on that a little more, cause I often preach to guys to maybe have two broadheads in the quiver, depending upon their setup. Um, especially, I mean, obviously there's a lot of variables, for example, like with what you're talking about, your so setup and mine, me shooting eight. I just sorry, so shooting off. eighty. No, no problem. Shooting eighty-five to ninety pounds, I can do pretty much whatever I want at a twenty-nine inch draw. Yep. Now you you talk about uh, a guy that's a twenty-eight inch draw shooting seventy pounds. I'm not going to promote him to probably shoot a fixed blade as much on a white tail as I may be a mechanical or a black bear in the triple canopy jungle of British Columbia, because you need to have blood and you get guys that bash mechanicals and, Oh, they can fail and they can do this and they can do that. Yeah. I mean, my aunt could grow balls and become my uncle too, but the bottom line <laughs> is it leaves a big hole. And that is important. I, I mean, was waiting for one of the classic away. Aaron sayings <laughs> there. It came. Did you like How'd I do? He, he Did I come perfect. through all right? Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> But, but, I mean, that's important for people to hear from you and me, I think, because, I yes, a, a fixed-blade broadhead can't fail. But you know what? There's times, especially when I've helped guys where they've hit something and I've just thought the entire tracking job, good Lord, I wish you would have had something bigger on the end of your arrow because our lives would be much easier. Um, even you talk about nicking a liver, you know, you don't have to be too far off to completely miss the liver. If you're a little far back, you know, you basically take an inch and a 16th and you go to a inch and three quarter or two inch mechanical flat out. It's just hitting or has the better chance of hitting, um, a lot more, uh, potential for vitals or, or something in there is going to hit the goodies. Um, and, and I think that gets overlooked as well. Yep. Yep. Well, well, Hey, dude, you're, I know you're one minute late for what you need to, this was perfect. This was like a perfect impromptu thing. We got our list. Uh, I'm going to read it back out. So rated one to 10, one being least important to number one importance. We got travelability. We got weight. We got diameter, FOC, fletching, the type of projectile, the tolerance of your components, your knock fit, your spine match, and coming in at the top, the straightness and spine consistency of the arrow shaft. So, dude, that was awesome. I feel warm and fuzzy about that. Okay. Well, but remember, everyone, email John and not me with any questions after this. <laughs> they, hey you can email me you can dm me all you want i spend an hour a day doing them wherever you fall in the queue 
you might you might get it you might not i mean it's uh but yeah i don't go in into i don't go into wormholes i know that i uh i i try to stay on the positive dry ground um just to just to stay sane so i'm glad you're not glad you're not going down any rat holes that's good that's good for your for your health i I took both your and rogan's advice and and uh i just walk away and then you know go to the gym or something productive (laughs) (laughs) perfect yeah that's good well thanks dude hey we'll uh we'll talk soon and man thanks for what you're doing for archery i appreciate it very much you as well man i can't thank you enough (laughs) all right knock on everybody be sure to visit knockonarchery.com to see our entire line of trendy knock-on lifestyle clothing knockonarchery.com